0: This podcast episode should not be used as a substitute for medical or mental health advice. Individuals are advised to seek independent medical advice, counseling, or therapy from a healthcare professional with respect to any medical condition, mental health issue, or health inquiry, including matters discussed on this podcast episode. Welcome back to The Unfiltered Podcast. This is episode 11. In today's episode, Nick, a psychotherapist and narcissistic abuse specialist, will answer these five questions from our community. 1. I plan on breaking up with my narcissistic girlfriend soon. What should I expect? How do narcissists react to breakups? 2. Do you have any advice for surviving a narcissistic work environment? I can't just quit. I really need the money right now. 3. Why does my narcissistic father always start huge arguments right around my birthday? Do they need supplies so badly that they can't handle a day of me being celebrated? Four. What types of post-divorce abuse should I be prepared for if I ignore my narcissist ex's hoovering attempts? Five. My daughter has been manipulated by my mother into turning against me. How can I rebuild my relationship with my daughter as quickly as possible? Hi, Nick. Thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you on this podcast episode.
1: Hi, Juliana. How are you doing? Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. Uh, let's get started right away. So the first question is, I plan on breaking up with my narcissistic girlfriend soon. What should I expect? How do narcissists react to breakups?
1: Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess like lots of questions about narcissists and, uh, behaviors, there will be variables and, uh, Some of it will be sort of context bound, but I guess if we start by sort of thinking that the narcissistic sort of personality um, is underpinned by uh, shame uh, and and, and, and a sort of deep level of insecurity, um, then, you know, any kind of rejection is going to be experienced sort of... uh, far more severely and intensely by that person compared to, you know, somebody that isn't uh, presenting with such levels of underlying shame and insecurity. So, so the kind of, their internal world will be potentially quite shattered by the rejection. Um, And given that they are, the the narcissist is, is generally uh, predisposed to, High levels of control and manipulation. Um, being rejected, of course, is uh, not in line with their mode of operant mode of operandi. Yeah. So a rejection is somebody else taking the control away from them. Um, so the responses can be very extreme and and, and varied. Um, you know, I've I've sort of witnessed uh, people breaking down, for instance, having quite significant breakdowns at at such rejections, sort of suicidal, um, because their internal worlds are so fragile. um, The lack of control and the the experience of rejection can lead to a sort of suicidal reaction. Um, uh, You know, this is sort of at extreme. Um, More generally, there'll be anger and rage, um, and a kind of attempt to obviously regain control uh, maybe the regaining of control might be seen in smear campaigns whereby you know they'll start to talk very negatively towards uh, other people outside of the relationship um, in relation to the to the partner who rejected them um, there's very little uh, capacity for people with narcissistic personalities. Um, varying degrees to take responsibility so you know where one might ordinarily be able to think about the reasons behind such rejection in an ordinary kind of psyche in an ordinary relational dynamic um the narcissist won't be able to take any responsibility so um that will that will sort of bounce back in 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 rage and an attack of, of of the rejecting partner um and i guess you know you might be looking at kind of smear campaigns and the alignment with sort of people to uh to blame the partner um for for the relationship going wrong um and again depending on age if children are involved etc etc um you know that brings in a whole different sort of dimension um I guess on the other side of things, people can also um, maybe move on quite quickly. So there may be a sort of dismissal of the significance um, of, of the rejection. Um, you know, there may be some suffering on one level, but to the outside world, there may be a kind of presentation, a false presentation, a sort of masking of the, of the internal sort of destruction. And, um, and therefore are moving on very quickly, a, a kind of discarding of the, of the previous partner and uh, moving on to a new relationship. Um, I guess if we think about the underlying shame, that means that there's a, you know, a strong internalised sense that these people are bad, you know, that they're not good. So the rejection obviously you know, compounds that sense of shame. And that's what will bring about the fragility and the rage as a sort of defence against the shame. Um, I think I've sort of come to the end of answering that question. But
0: uh, okay. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I have a follow-up question. Yeah. You, men- you mentioned the um, kind of the my takeaway that you mentioned two different scenarios. So you mentioned the like the suicidal side, that that might Mm -hmm. be the Mm -hmm. response. But then you also mentioned the kind of the dismissal and moving on quickly. Do you think that is um, vulnerable narcissist more likely to be the maybe the suicidal type of uh, give the more suicidal type of response and then other type of narcissist like grandiose or like malignant that they do the dismissal or any thoughts on that?
1: I think that's a good, uh, that's a good, that's a good thought. Um, I don't, I'm not sure that I know the answer to that necessarily, but I think it's, uh, I, I I think, I think the grandiose and the vulnerable are both vulnerable. I mean, the great, the grandiose will potentially be able to mask the vulnerability uh, better. So, in that sense, yeah, the, uh, your, uh, your interpretation could, could very well be, uh, be accurate. Yeah. Um, I think it also depends on the, the length of time of the relationship. You know, I mean, if it's a long term marriage, that'll be, you know, that'll be different from a kind of shorter term relationship. So in a longer term marriage with kids, there'll be more shame attached because, um, you know, the, 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 the outside world will know that there's a, you know, a potential divorce or, um, you know, the image, the image that's been created will be, will be slipping. Um, so there could be a greater response there as opposed to, you know, if it was a shorter term relationship, somebody might move on quicker. Um, so I think there's variables, but um, mm. I think that the general, that's the general expectation Um yeah
0: okay yeah great let's go to the second question do you have any advice for surviving a narcissistic work work environment i can't just quit i really need the money right now
1: yeah i think uh, i think if you're dealing with a narcissistic uh boss or colleague or somebody in the workplace that's that's causing uh significant i mean and of course we are using the word narcissistic loosely in the sense that we, you know, we don't know that they're kind of MPD necessarily. But I guess if people are, I guess if people are um, confident that the level of narcissistic behaviour is, you know, consistent and problematic enough to maintain itself, and you know, there's not going to be change coming along from the boss or or the colleague, then. Ultimately, I think it's like any relationship. the The ultimate outcome has to be um, to uh, to leave the relationship, right? Ultimately, because you're not going to find harmony within that within that um, within that em- employer employee relationship. Um, so that would be the 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 ultimate outcome. However. Obviously, yeah, it's easier said than done. People need to survive, and people need to remain sort of uh, with an income. So, I think my advice would be to um, to plan, to parallel plan, really. So to know that you're leaving, whether that's like in a year's time or six months or whatever, you know, it might depend on the severity of the dynamic. But um, but once you've once you've made that decision, and once you've identified that this person is you know, problematically narcissistic in a way that's not going to change, then you can kind of gain some control because you, um, you know, you have a plan, you have a plan and you've, you've seen that person, right? So you know what you're dealing with. So that once you become conscious of that, you gain much more control. You can relinquish the battles. Yeah. Because, you're normally only, people are only normally battling and getting into conflict with narcissists before they know that they're narcissists, because you know there's an attempt at normality, there's an attempt at gaining an ordinary um, relational communicational pattern. But once the that starts to shift, and once somebody is conscious of the, of the reality of the narcissistic communication behaviour, then you can sit back and say, okay, like this is this is what it is and then you can stop you know trying to uh, manage the relationship you it's really important not to let the person know that you know that they are a narcissist or they are problematically narcissistic whatever you you know as soon as if you let them know then that will lead to them probably discarding you from the workplace or uh, that will bring you more problems. So, so, so you have to play the game. You have to kind of be accommodating. You have to be, uh, you know, avoid the conflict. You have to follow the rules really. Um, but you're doing it in an informed way. So you will be being controlled, but you'll know that you're being controlled, which kind of means that you're not being controlled at some level because you're aware of what's going on. Um, and knowing that you're seeking an exit at the same time, um, so yeah, trying to uh, trying to avoid the conflict, avoid defensiveness, um, you know, remain agreeable, um, and uh, yeah, start applying for um, researching new job opportunities at the uh, earliest convenience.
0: Yeah, I, I, that was a great tip because, like you said. It's not, I think the key point is that there is no more any, there's no more the sense of helplessness. Once you see that, or like you have the knowledge, okay, this person is problematic in a narcissistic way. So even though you still have to follow their rules probably and like you said, you, you have to, but that you are doing it from a place of knowledge and you are not anymore this help, helpless person who just doesn't know what's going on.
1: Yeah, exactly. But I and I think it's but I think it is it's important to know that you you will not, you know, your soul will your soul will be eroded if you continue to never try to believe that you can manage that dynamic ongoingly because you your soul will be sort of eroded slowly and um and gradually, yeah. Mm,
0: yeah. Okay, let's go to the third one. Why does my narcissistic father always start huge arguments right around my birthday? Do they do they need supplies so badly that they can't handle a day of me being celebrated?
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, in a way, the uh, the uh, the question has been answered. But of course, um, it's very uh, very difficult for um, the narcissist to allow the attention to be on uh, on the other and um and yeah particularly actually uh, maybe the son is it the son in this case or the or the daughter or I'm not sure but the child
0: yeah a child uh, it's a son
1: okay yeah yeah so i think i think the narcissistic father and the son is a particular you know relationship in itself um which you know which can often evoke uh lots of sort of envious attacks. So I would suggest that the you know, psychologically there's an envious attacks within the you know, within the context of the son having the attention. So the the way the father experiences that is um is a threat. You know, there's a there's a kind of experience of of, of a threat because the sun, um, in that moment becomes the, uh, the object of desire, you know, um, which, you know, reduces the, the, his significance within that, within that, uh, within that context. Um, so then, you know, the anxiety rises in the, in the narcissist, um, you know, I don't know, unconscious fantasies of rejection and, uh, and um, maybe abandonment um, that may then turn to sort of rage or anger, frustration, whatever way is acted out in in, in that moment. Um, and of course, the acting out then sort of brings the attention back onto themselves. Um so yeah unfortunately it's very difficult to uh for the child of a narcissist and particularly maybe let's say the um the the son of a narcissistic father you know it's difficult for them to have their day separate from the sort of interference of the of the narcissist because the narcissist can't be allow that separateness to sort of occur um in those in those in those moments, um, and and to celebrate the, you know the sun's the sun's day, um, so he'll find a way of sabotaging it and sort of destroying it at some level, yeah. Um, unless of course it's uh, you know I guess if the narcissist has done something to create the day, or you know or maybe not the birthday but create create something for the the the, the sun which then kind of. Manifests as a sort of a narcissistic extension, where the where the narcissist can say, "Oh yeah, look, look look what I've done, you know, look what I've created for," and that that that's slightly different because then he can he can be involved in in that process and gain some supply and and sort of narcissistic feed from that process. Yeah, yeah.
0: that was yeah. such a great ad. Like, yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. <laughs> uh, okay, let's go to the fourth one. So, what types of post-divorce abuse uh, should I be prepared for if I ignore my narcissist ex hoovering attempts?
1: You know, I guess. Um, I guess I might be repeating myself slightly from the first um question, but uh, you know, so the the hoovering attempt is obviously under the guise of control where you know the narcissist will will be used to uh hoovering them back in and uh you know once this isn't achieved that that there's a sort of shift in the dynamic um and i guess sort of post-divorce or during the divorce process um you know the well i mean this is very contextual bound actually this question so um there's very variations like various sort of Ways I could answer it, I guess, but um, but I think if if you're trying to divorce the narcissist, generally the narcissist will riff re- will um, try to uh, not divorce you, basically, because <laughs> because you know like if you if you lead on the divorce you you immediately take control so if we're if i'm working with somebody or my team's working with somebody around the, in the context of divorce we'll always be advising to you know the person should lead on the divorce because they they get control immediately of that process and now that obviously will be uh against the grain for the narcissist who's sort of into the control so there will be the usual the usual will be you know um problem after problem in in you know completing the forms or trying to hold up the process delay the process uh, smear campaigns etc etc um lies 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 you know like defamation of character um you know all of that stuff um, non you know there won't be cooperation in the process whatsoever uh, there'll be you know kind of manipulation Pretend of the children, perhaps some kind of parental alienation, parental alienationary sort of communications to to the children to blame the other person for the, um for the divorce. Um, yeah, it, it'll be the kind of usual suspects, you know, like as the as the first as the first question
0: yeah so that's just so like horrible and like how do you manage that there is no way to avoid that like of course, yeah, obviously not yeah. because you can't control the narcissist but is well, it I just mean, yeah
1: i mean i've heard of you know i've heard of people you know killing the animals in these sort of situations you know like you you know so the controls taken away from them and there's you know, I've I've had cases where the animals have been, you know, hurt or, and killed um, as, a, as a as a response, and it's anything to sort of um, undermine and destabilise the person that's taking control back. Yeah. Um, so I'm just telling you sort of some examples of extreme responses. Um, now, the only way to again really is. You know, it's the same as in other contexts with relationships with, with, with narcissists. But the only the only way that you, you can manage it is is to um, to become and this is this is the sort of dichotomy in a way, because people you know, the non narc or the often empath codependent sort of personality style that's just about gained enough strength to leave the relationship is often not strong enough to you know, do theoretically what it might be useful to do in terms of boundaries, in terms of the, like, remaining solid and not, not allowing the narcissist to see vulnerability in you um, to, you know, regain control and all that strength and um, not get hoovered back in, uh, you know, maintain those really firm boundaries, start to protect yourself and privilege yourself over the narcissist, over others. So often the person isn't that isn't in that kind of cycle hasn't got that psychological strength at that point, yeah. And that's why the divorce process or the separation process for the for the non narcissistic partner is is really 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 excruciating because they're just about you know they've been sort of the person's been uh, you know destroyed over 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 years of, of abuse, and. Um, just because they've kind of noticed and, and, and got to the point of re- realising what the na- the true nature of the relationship doesn't mean to say that they're going to find it easy to like go through that. And that that's why I would definitely advise like to get support when you're in that situation. Like that's sort of almost like the, the time when you need as much support as, as you can get from professionals or a good like support group, um, you know, friendship groups. I think, uh, I guess just thinking on from that, um, you know, like when people generally talk to their friends about the relationship, um, people often don't, you know, they see it as six or one and a half dozen the other because the narcissist is spinning all sorts of lies and all sorts of stories and narratives about the other person. And then it's hard for people to, to see the wood for the trees, but I kind of do advise that, you know, um, if you can identify like people that you think that, you know, that are really close to you and really might actually be able to hear your, your story, your narrative of the narcissistic behavior, I do think that that, you know, during those times, if you can, if you can try to articulate your experience of abuse to the, to, to these friends and get them on board, it'll be really, it would be really like helpful, you know, um, because before before you know it, he would have, or she would have, the narcissist would have um, done the smear campaign. It's kind of, you know, you lose all your potential support, right? I think people are kind of, can be a little bit um, unsure of using the word, right? Like going to their friends and saying, look, you know, he's, or she's a, she's a narcissist, right? Firstly, because the word's Far more in the in the in the language these days, so people are less. I think people are more sceptical about listening to, to, to that kind of interpretation. But also, um, it's a you know you are sort of using a sort of diagnostic word. But I think that if you can describe it and articulate your experience in line with the diagnosis, and um, and you know to to people that you th- feel may trust your your narrative. Um, I think it's important to use the word because that's what it is. If you're confident that, that's what, that what, that's what it is, and you've spoke to therapists or you spoke to people that are a bit more, you know, in the in the know of the the subject, then you know you you need to name it to to to, to the, your close people and get that support network going as soon as possible. You know,
0: mm, great. So. Uh when looking for a support group or looking for any kind of support uh, when you are in a tough situation like that, one has to really identify who are the people who are able to actually support me and who are the people who are not safe for me right now with this subject matter because, yeah, it's also a real danger to get, if if you confide or if you trust Wrong people, they might say something that makes you even doubt yourself more and, you know, take steps back and maybe yeah. even, maybe even, you know, fall for the hoovering attempts because, yeah, maybe I should try one more uh, time.
1: Exactly, <laughs> like... exactly, exactly. And I think the single most important thing when, you know, doing the seeing, you know, in clinically for me, seeing people, um, that are in that in that position. The the single most. I mean, I you know I've had like single sessions where, you know, people like can have a really significant experience in one or two sessions, right? If the person that they're talking to, I mean, in this case, the therapist can validate that experience and feed back to them um, the you know, the, some, some details and uh, knowledge about the narcissistic abuse, right? The validation that people experience can be really powerful. And I think <clears throat> if they can begin to generate that validating experience within the friendship group, then you know that that's gonna be really helpful, like throughout the whole process. Because what you don't wanna do is to keep going to people and not be able to talk about it because they don't really understand it, right? Because then you're totally isolated, and that's what the narcissist wants. That's what the narcissist actually generated in the relationship. They'll just continue to try to generate that isolation, you know, towards the end of the relationship.
0: Mm -hmm. and i really liked your point when you said that if you are sure what you're what you are dealing with you should you should be allowed to and to name it and not kind of fear that well i can't use the name and i can't because yeah i totally agree that you should be allowed to speak because and name it because often people who have been in these relationships are they don't they haven't had the choice to speak up and uh and then for those who are not yet like unsure or still think that okay well i'm not that comfortable for using that word we actually have like very great uh like resource on 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 our platform about how to explain narcissism to others in a way that you can get that support group around you and the point point of that is to always focus on the describing the behavior patterns that you yeah. don't have to use the word narcissist or narcissistic you can describe the behavior and then people all of a sudden usually people start to get it they're like oh that's how they behave and then they start to see the abuse the manipulative nature etc cetera, etc cetera. and they are not like uh, you know, they don't shut t- down their brain just because they hear the word narcissist and like, well, you're not a therapist, you're not a mental health professional, you can't say that. But yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Well, that that's great. That sounds great. Yeah, if you've got that information on the website, then I think, yeah, I think people, sh- yeah, people should be almost educated in, like you say, how, in how to articulate their experience, mm-hmm. you know, their their abusive experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I I, have, I hear often that someone is like, well, if someone hasn't experienced this, uh I don't even bother trying to ex- like explain this. And I totally yeah. get that. Like, it's exhausting yeah. to having been invalidated and ignored and like, uh, all that kind of stuff for so many years. So I totally get that. But then at the same time, I think that they are like, it's so important to get this information out to people who haven't experienced. So we would so that we could have less narcissist abuse enablers and people yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: Okay, uh, let's go to the last question, number five. My my daughter has been manipulated by my mother into turning against me. How can I rebuild my relationship with my daughter as quickly as possible?
1: (laughs) Okay, yeah, I mean, um, this will also depend on sort of age, You know, because depending on the age of the the daughter, um, it will will depend on what kind of conversations you can have with the the daughter. But um, so I think what kind of the the two main theoretical uh, aspects that one might need to think about is firstly, um, like projective identification, projection and projective identification so the the narcissistic grandmother will be projecting into the daughter um, or the granddaughter um you know uh, uh, narratives and uh, emotions of negativity towards towards the mother yeah and the uh the the daughter or the granddaughter will be internalizing those projections so it will be you know, a feeling that the grandmother has about the daughter, um, about her daughter, that will be projected into the granddaughter, and then the granddaughter will internalise that feeling, uh, that narrative, those words, those experiences, those, and then act that out onto the to the mother. Yeah. So the so it's 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 akin to parental alienation, whereby you know the child comes back from the grandmother or from the other parent to the, to the, uh, to the other parent and starts attacking um, the other parent, in this case the mother, based on the internalised projection from the grandmother. So, you know, grandmother said, your, your mother's a psycho. Daughter internalises that, comes back and then starts acting that out towards the mother. So anger and criticism and negativity and maybe verbal abuse, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And so what the mother has to do is um be careful not to internalize the projection a second time round in a way, because of course if she starts internalizing that projection and acting that out, then she does become the crazy mother, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the daughters saying, "Grandma's right because like she's acting nuts, like she's shouting at me and like having a go at me, and uh, there's all this conflict. So Grandma must be right. She's uh, she's a lunatic." So the first part, bit of advice is, um, sorry that was a bit convoluted, but the first bit of advice was um, is for the for the mother m- must remain calm at all times. Yeah. But the mother must remain adult because the what's the design the design of the grandmother is to is to turn her into a into into a crazy person via this process. So she must demonstrate to her child that she's not that, that she's calm, loving, adult, solid parent. Now, obviously, that's easier said than done when you've got a daughter, like, you know, acting all this stuff out. But, you, you know, you have to really you have to really work hard at it. You have to be very bounded, very calm, non-critical of the... You know, if she starts criticising her own daughter, then, you know, that's going to feed into the narrative, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, one way or another, she has to remain you know, as uh, as non-emotional in a way as possible. The second thing is that she needs to not criticise the grandmother. So the temptation, of course, is to say what you're talking about, your grandmother's a nutter. And then that puts the child in a double bind, because, of course, like, you know, well, mum's saying this, grandma's saying that. Then, again, the mother becomes equal to the grandmother. So in the child's mind, you know, um, you, you know, they're both saying negative things about each other. So how does she work out? First of all, how does she work out who's telling the truth? Um, but, uh, but secondly, the, of, of course, the narcissistic grandmother will do a much better job because narcissists are, you know, that is, that's their job, right? So, so, she's, so she's always going to do a better job at destroying the image of the mother than the mother's going to do at destroying the image of the grandmother. So she's not going to compete. She's just going to fall into the trap of, like... Um, thirdly, uh, it, it puts the child in what's called a double bind. Which is, um, it's a really like uh, pathological, psychological position that sort of uh, uh, a guy called Gregory Bateson discovered, um, I think back in the 60s, um, linked it to kind of the development of schizophrenia, whereby, you know, children that are in double binds for too long can like lose their mind because they can't see, uh, they can't actually like, um, they can't, There isn't a reality. So, you know, if they turn left, it's chaos. If if they turn right, it's chaos. If they turn left, they're disappointing mother. If they turn right, they're disappointing grandmother, right? So they're constantly in a double bind. They're persecuted with whatever way they go, right? So, again, the mother doesn't want to start criticising the grandmother because... It will put the child in a double bind. What um, <clears throat> was going to say? Uh, yeah. So, therefore, the the daughter or the granddaughter, if the grandmother is succeeding in the colonisation. Uh the child sort of feels that she needs to align with the grandmother in order to have a sense of reality sense of safety because she has to believe something right and at the moment it sounds like she 's believing the grandmother now so there isn 't a quick fix to this right like you can't you can 't just like fix it really quickly because the question was about a quick fix i don 't think there is one um I just think that you you know the it's a really 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 difficult dynamic. So you can change the grandmother with the father, then it's an even more problematic dynamic. And I've seen it, you know, generally it's it's not very pretty, and it does take years to reverse itself. Um with the grandmother it shouldn't take as long because obviously the relationship isn't as significant, but um so the mother has to be adult, has to be caring, has to be loving. Um she can, uh, she can, and so ultimately she has to wait for the child to realise that the grandmother is a psycho. Yeah, that can take a bit of time. She can sort of subtly drop hints that the that the grandmother's a psycho, but she has to do it in a very subtle kind of non-attacking. You know yeah you, you know your grandmother's she's often a bit strange like that isn't she 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 can be a bit critical can't she at times you know of people so so mother can sort of subtly drop hints to the da- to her daughter that you know grandmother's a bit like this and oh yeah she used to do that to me when I was a child She always used to you know but but when she's making those communications, it's just really important that, that the child doesn't hear it as a criticism because if she's aligned with the grandmother, she'll reject the communication. But if she hears it as a more of a subtle, generalised observation and feedback of the grandmother's personality, she'll be more likely to be able to, to hear it and, and it will give her the chance to think about it on her own. So the child will hear it and the child will think, that's some information that doesn't seem prejudiced by mother. So I can think about that information in my way without feeling that mother is telling me to think about it because that's been her experience of the grandmother. Sorry, I'm probably like confusing, like you know, making things, I don't know, but.
0: No, no, at all. Uh, I think the last. Uh last thing that you said that what what it made me think that you should probably always make when you try to drop those small hints for the child to make sure that do it as like neutral way as possible and that they are uh, based on like to well maybe this is obvious that they're always based on what is what is actually happening you don't try to like make it too dramatic you don't try to make it yeah you don't like just because you try so badly when your daughter over and re, like rebuild the relationship that you don't start to you know make things up because if that goes to the grandmother and she hears that she can very easily to say hey well i have proof that that's not true and that good like turn out really bad. So just to make sure that you always yeah, of course, you, uh, you can point out the reality like you, I think you said that drop the hints. And uh, I actually heard, uh, I talked with uh, one woman and she said that she did that approach that she um, she didn't criticize the other narcissistic parent, but she for example, she She was very truthful with the child and said, for example, well, yeah, your dad, uh, he in this case, it was a dad who was the narcissistic person. He uh, is having a hard time to, you know, come to pick you up uh, in a time that was, you know, planned on and um, like, that's the truth. She didn't try to try to make, make the dad look bad because he was always late. And the child was of course like confused and like hurt and took the anger out of the mother, like lashed out because they tried to get the love from the narcissistic parent. So she said that the advice was that, okay, you don't, you don't, don't talk bad about it, but uh, the child needs someone to validate their reality so you can help them in In that way, and over time children like like they see the truth they see they will see it over time if you keep you are consistent with it, but the, of course, it's a really tough position like I talked with Sarah and in one podcast episode, and she she talked about parental alienation, and it was like very very hard to actually hear like how yeah. how tough it can be and like emotionally for the mother to see how their child is.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had so many cases where the children align with the narcissistic parent, the, the alienating parent, you know. Um, and, and, and sometimes it's... Sometimes I can't... You know, you know, one has an understanding of it, but you, it's just still absolutely blows me away at how, you know, these amazing parents are being rejected by the children... For the narcissist, right? And it's like, you know, um, and I think there's lots of variables and I'm sure it's different for different children and different families, but I think there's a fear fear in the child of disappointing the narcissistic parent, right? Because the kind of healthy parent sort of isn't really disappointed by the child because, you know, they're a healthy parent. So they can, you know, roll with the the rough and the smooth. But with the narcissistic parent, the love's conditional, right? And so the child picks up on the conditionality of the love and then that almost, so then there's a fear of not meeting the conditions to get the love. And so because there's a safety with the healthy parent, and this might relate to the, grand, to the case that we're talking about now, the grandparent and the mother, because there's a, a safety, they can reject the healthy parent. Because they kind of know that, like, they can always go back to the healthy parent. But when they reject the narcissist, they know that there's a chance of never being able to go back.
0: Mm, That's so interesting and very, very good point. Yeah.
1: But eventually, and that's why it takes so long for the child. Because even, even like, you know, when you're, I don't know, 25, 30, 35, right? And you realize your parents are narcissists, right? Like, do you still reject them? 100%? Not, not really, no. Because rejecting your parent is psychologically, like, catastrophic. To reject a parent 100%, like, never see them again. No contact. Like, you can do that with a husband, right? Or a partner, But to do it with a parent is a different level of psychological trauma. Um, And so, you know, often people manage the narcissistic parent. You know, they reduce contact. They, you know, set boundaries. they, They manage it. They don't reject it. And so with the child at a younger age, you know, they haven't learned the skills to manage it. And so they have to tie themselves to it through fear of, of disappointing and 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 an ultimate rejection by the narcissistic parent. That's what I think. Anyway, I don't know if there's anything written about about that, but probably is. But mm,
0: yeah, and I have one follow up question. Uh, in this, uh, in the, I don't know how many episodes back, but I already brought Sarah up and parental alienation up, and she said that that, for example. Her son was like she was thinking that is it possible that you can be codependent to the narcissistic father but then behave well, the nar- child. yeah like the child the son yeah, yeah who was trying to align with the uh, narcissistic father that did the son develop codependency to the narcissistic father but started acting in a narcissistic way towards the mother so the um healthy parent and uh like we were just talking about that in a very general level do you have any like thoughts about that
1: what so codependent to the narcissist narcissistic to the to the healthy parent yeah and in a
0: dynamic where the It's a narcissistic father and the son acting very toxic way towards the mother. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I see that quite a bit, actually. Um, And I'm not sure if it's useful to stick to the terminology of codependent and narcissistic, you know, um, because I think it's trauma, like with the, the child's traumatized. Um, and you know, there's also, uh, well, with the, with the father and the son dynamic, you know, there's, there's, there's all sorts of genderized dynamics as well, isn't there? Where, you know, the the uh, you know the attachment to the masculine and the rejection of the feminine becomes quite toxic and, and but quite you know within that sort of oedipal dynamic um, it becomes acted out uh, on a on a sort of uh, yeah genderized basis um, but yeah the the narcissistic behavior that will be coming the the uh, the way of the healthy parent. Um, I think it's more useful to start thinking about that in terms of, um, yeah, parental alienation and ag- aggression and rage and uh, maybe even a kind of deep, deeper kind of seated sort of anger towards the healthy parent for not protecting the child against the narcissistic parent. Um, yeah, I'm not quite finding the uh, the deeper sort of. Le- explanations for it but um but yeah uh it's definitely it's definitely a common uh structure yeah Mm
0: -hmm. okay I maybe that was more my question like is it a like a real thing and like do you see it often happening and
1: oh yeah 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 yeah. without a doubt without a doubt yeah
0: okay great um Today we had some really great questions and great answers. So thank you for listening to this episode and thank you, Nick, a lot for joining the, this episode and answering all these questions.
1: Thank you, Juliana. It's been a pleasure.